This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Moera Karatai. Kia ora, Moera. Kia Sam. How's it going? Very well. How did your presentation to the Regional Council annual 10-year plan, plan go? Um, it went really well. It was so funny. I put in my paperwork for that so long ago, I'd forgotten what it was actually about. So I had to get them to email me and tell me what I was presenting on. But um, I talked uh, about, so in Tauranga, if you're a student, you can jump on a bus for free. Uh, we don't have that in Whakatane. And so therefore, we are not developing a public transport culture. And when you don't have a public transport culture, you have a parents dropping kids off at school culture instead, which is just not sustainable at all. So I had to talk to them about extending that free bus service, but also um, creating better biking spaces for our kids because uh, at the moment, for example, for Jack, who loves mountain biking, I have to drive him 40 minutes in the car to take him to a mountain biking track, and that's also not really acceptable. So we had a big talk about that. So fingers and toes crossed something good comes from all that. I hope so. Well done. Who are we introducing today? It is my absolute pleasure to introduce Marty Hoffart, who is a uh, – I actually heard him speak at the recent uh, Doing the Mahi uh, sustainable Backyards Kōrero in Tauranga. Uh, he's the Director of Waste Watches. Um, he is the Chairman of the Zero Waste Network New Zealand and Chairman of Environmental Education for Resource Sustainability Trust um, and a whole bunch of other things. But he truly is doing the mahi, so it is so nice to have you here, Marty. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Kia ora, Marty. Welcome. Where are you, Marty? I um I'm in my uh, I'm in my lounge in Tauranga on uh, in Otomotai and uh, I've lived in Tauranga for 27 years but I'll I'll never sound like it I'll always sound like a foreigner right off the boat. Where are you from? So I grew up in uh, Alberta in uh, in Canada and uh, you know one of the reasons I ended up here is my Kiwi wife didn't want to shovel snow at minus 45 <laughs> below. That, that's not very nice, is it? So how was your bubble life? I really loved my bubble life. Uh, it was it was just her and I and, and our son Tom, uh, who's eighteen. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was a nice time of year. All the Fijoas were dropping off, so we'd go for our walks every day, and we would uh, forage for mushrooms growing on people's front lawns and schools because no one was cutting their lawns, churches and schools. And hello, there was a, you know, we'd go around and get a bag of mushrooms every, she, she grew up on a farm, so she, she loves mushrooming, and you can urban mushroom during lockdown when, when people aren't doing their regular lawn cutting uh, things, and uh, Fijoas were falling off the tree, and yeah, we walked every day, so it was, uh, it was a really interesting time. Uh, uh, I don't know if it'll ever happen again. So Mawira described a long list of hats that you wear. Did did some of those hats carried on getting worn during the lockdown? Uh, yeah, I mean that you know your life continues if you're uh, working for uh, not the not for profit sector or if you're working for yourself. Uh, so I was I'm not an employee, so I wasn't sort of sent home for a month on on, on gardening duty. So yep, uh, lots of phone calls and Zoom meetings and catching up on reports that I you know we're all busy. And uh, sometimes we think, well, I'll get to that report and I'll get to that report. So cleaned up all the paperwork and all the reports <laughs> got written. And uh, and then, yeah, the Zoom meetings sort of got to me after a while. They were they were fun for, for a start, but uh, I'd, I'd sort of had enough after a while. And the rubbish carried on getting collected. 
Yeah, it did. Uh, it was in an interesting time because a lot of the recycling, unfortunately, was was sent to landfill uh, because, um, you know, I think, you know, we all understood that uh, we didn't know what COVID was and how far it was going to go. So uh, we didn't really want anyone handling things that were going to potentially get them sick or, or kill them. So, yeah, it was kind of sad to see all those nice, clean recyclables get dumped in a landfill. But that was uh, it was a short term thing. So what does let's pick one of them what does waste watchers do so what does waste watchers do so waste watchers is a uh, my own consulting company and waste watchers uh, does a lot of waste auditing for for various councils so I do a lot of uh, waste auditing on businesses and I've been, you know I've audited hundreds and hundreds of businesses over the last 20 years uh, I do a lot of curbside audits for councils when they when they rewrite their waste management and minimization plan every six years under the waste minimization act they have to do something called the waste assessment so they have to um they have to you know figure out where they are currently with diverting waste from landfill um so i've i've done many of those sam and they're they're not they're 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 not very pretty it's uh it's pretty much pick up uh 100 wheelie bins a day monday to friday uh, with a team of four, bring them back to the transfer station or somewhere that's covered and dump them out one on a time on a table and and sort them and and find out what's going to landfill. It's uh, it can be a pretty challenging job if you're not the right person for that, um, just physically and and mentally uh, doing that all day. Why waste? Why waste for me? I guess uh, I don't know. I, I in Canada, I was a social worker. As I say, I've lived in twenty in New Zealand for twenty seven years. But in Canada, I was involved with um, twelve to eighteen year olds. I used to work at a, 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 a behavior treatment center for for um, real difficult twelve to eighteen year olds that lived there. It was a residential treatment facility. So I guess I was involved in behavior change in Canada in in a, in a different way. And and I think. I think when I when I ended up here, uh, Sam, uh, I think it goes back to about 1986. I was here on my OE for the first time, and I was at a party, and I was picking kiwi fruit as a young backpacker. And uh, at the end of the night, they started cleaning up after the party, and 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 somebody just reached out their arm and started uh, hauling all these bottles and cans into a, a paper rubbish sack. And and I just said, w w w hang on, what are you what are you doing? And um, you know, we'd had deposits on beverage containers in 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 Canada since the 1970s. So um, I didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize until then um, that New Zealand didn't. And um, to, you know, 30 years later or more, um, New Zealand still doesn't. And uh, yeah, so I, I guess for me, waste was. Uh, it was the next vehicle I got hooked on to. I, you know, uh, something positive, something to do with the environment, something to do with teaching. And uh, yeah, I was, I was hooked. I am going to play. I've got loads of rubbish related songs. Most of them aren't about rubbish, but they've just got rubbish in the title or trash in the title. So let's start with They Might Be Giants, Take Out the Trash. <laughs> Yeah. 
there's so much to choose from. I'm not even going to get to My Old Man's Adjustment or any Womble songs. People talk about zero waste. Can we get to zero waste? Is it a real thing? Absolutely. There are businesses right now um, around the world that, that are, are at zero waste. Uh, I've audited businesses in New Zealand that are at 89%, 92%. Uh, there's a lot of events. There's a lot of events around the country when you can control the packaging and you can control what the vendors are selling and, and you can control what, what people are discarding. Uh, a lot of events. We do a lot of events, Sam. We do a lot of uh, all summer. We're doing music and wine festivals and sporting events. Um, absolutely, you can you can you can get an event that's darn close to zero. And and I guess um, I guess a lot of people hear the term zero waste and 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 uh, they they sort of you know scoff because they think it's an impossible goal. But you got to remember, um, zero waste is 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 a policy driver. It's a goal and. Uh, it's uh, it's about eliminating waste. So it's about the front end too. It's not about trying to recycle everything that um, every single producer wants to put on a supermarket shelf or or or, or package or sell us. So it, it's working both ends. So zero waste is a goal for um, for setting policy for councils for 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 governments for businesses. Yeah, it's just like zero accidents or zero emissions. So. Um, you know there are there are plenty of uh, communities around New Zealand like Raglan. Raglan are over seventy percent for that whole community. You know they're working towards zero waste. Auckland Council has a zero waste goal of twenty forty. Um, um, I know Kaikoura was over seventy percent diversion from from that community. So it's uh, it's it's setting the target and and working towards it. And that and that's what zero waste is. It's it's uh, it's it's a target and it's a date so that you can measure your progress towards it. One of the things about rubbish is that it's icky. We like it to to go away. That's why it's rubbish. And particularly if it's got disposable nappies in it, we really want it to go away. But to so to fix, we're dealing with something that's icky and it's a system change that people don't really want to do. So I suppose that's when you come back to the, the behaviour change and the systems change that you were talking about before. Yeah, well, um, I always say behaviour change 101, Sam, is... Um is is removing the barrier that impedes people from engaging in the desired activity. So if you want people to get out and ride their bike more, you've got to build cycle lanes. You've got to build off-road cycle lanes as well in, in certain areas. If you want people to backyard compost, you need to teach them how to do that. You need to take out the yuck factor. You need to teach them the garden. So, you know, anytime you're trying to promote sustainable behaviors, um, uh, you know, teaching people about sustainability doesn't lead to more sustainable behaviors. Uh, removing the barrier that stops people from engaging in those activities um, gets us to more sustainable behaviors. I, I can give you a quick example. Tauranga City Council and Western Bay of Plenty District Council are about to roll out a new curbside collection for 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 ratepayers for for residential um, uh, homes on July first this year. So, so in about three months' time, we are going to be uh, able to recycle or, or have our food scraps collected at the curbside weekly. We'll have a 23-liter bin for that. And uh, we'll have a rubbish bin uh, uh, that, that will be collected fortnightly, which is, which is pretty militant. So, you know, there's not a lot of councils that, that collect the rubbish fortnightly. We'll collect our um, recyclables fortnightly and, and a glass crate where it's sorted at the curbside. You know, up until now, for the last 23 years, we've had a privatized system in Tauranga, and the Western Bay has been the same. And um, unfortunately, it just hasn't worked because not everyone's doing the same thing. And uh, our, 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 our waste to landfill has been going up, not down. So um, uh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a major step change for this city and, and for the Western Bay of Planning District Council. Quite often when we're talking about behaviour change and sustainability behaviour change is, is a good example, we have to find the sweet spot between individual action and the agency that that brings and the system change. And, and quite often we, we, we lurch from one to the other. So this is all about you've got to change how you're doing this thing or I don't need to do anything because the city hasn't done that thing yet. 
how do you find the sweet spot and how do you get to that point where there is that that leverage for the the actual change well i think you know what i think all kiwis want to do better you know we we want to be better we want uh, to send less waste to landfill we want to recycle more you know we've been identified uh by um the there's a UN-backed report that came out a couple of years ago that singled out New Zealand and Australia as the highest dumpers of e-waste on the planet. And a lot of people don't understand that. They say, you know, how can we possibly be the highest dumpers of e-waste? And, 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 and it's not like Kiwis don't care. The problem is, is that we don't have the regulation. We don't have the policy. So, for example, in Europe or in Canada or Japan or Korea, there are advanced recycling fees built into electronics. So if I go and buy a new printer or a new television or a new drill or a new hair dryer, I pay when I buy it. I pay the eco fee. I pay for the recycling up front. It's built into the cost of the product. So that when I'm finished with that product, I can take it back to a, an eco station or a community recycling center and I can hand it to them for nothing. And they're going to get paid a handling fee. There's going to be enough money in the system to pay to transport that television or, or, or computer box to a dismantler where it can be either refurbished or um, recovered and, and, and uh, dismantled and the parts can be recycled. We don't have advanced recycling fees on electronics. We don't have advanced recycling fees on tires. We don't have advanced recycling fees on anything. We have no regulation, and, and I'm talking beverage containers as well. We don't have deposits on beverage containers, and that's why we send a billion of those to landfill. So when you're talking about behavior change, we, you know, government councils, but this is really a central government issue, needs to create the climate and the conditions so that people can participate. Uh, unfortunately, we're all ruled by the almighty dollar. And if it's cheaper to boot an old television into a pit at a transfer station, and you can do that for $5, why would you pay $45 to a, a, an e-waste recycler to have it recycled? We don't, because money money rules us. And, and, and that's why we walk over cans and bottles in parking lots. That's why we can see flat aluminium cans and flat plastic bottles on the road because they're worthless and nobody wants to pick them up. But in other countries, there were 10 cents or 20 cents or 40 cents in the case of Germany. And, and, and people don't throw them away for starters. And if they do, somebody else will pick them up. So if you want behavior change, you've got to incentivize people to, to uh, allow them to, to change that behavior. I don't know what the economics are, but it always surprises me that we don't have glass milk bottles. I mean, clearly we used to have glass milk bottles. And it seems weird to me that it, the society can be paying for for, for the alternatives, that, that the, the using a thing multiple times is more expensive. I don't understand how we've got to that position. Um, I mean, the way we got to that position, if you're talking about beverages, is if, if you think back 50 or 80 years, every little town had a bottler and um, they, they charged you a, a fee for your crate of bottles, whatever it was, fizzy drink or milk bottles. But those things had a, had a, had a small fee built into them so that you would bring them back. Uh, that wasn't legislated. That was just done by, by the local bottlers. And unfortunately, you know, as the big beverage industry, the big players, the internationals came to New Zealand. They came to New Zealand, they shut down the local bottlers, um, they changed the packaging from glass to plastic to aluminium, and they moved the bottling back to centralized locations, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, and that was the beginnings of one-trip containers. That was the beginnings of litter in our communities. And, um, you know, the horses really bolted, and, 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 and since that time, those containers are worthless. Nobody wants them back. The beverage industry don't want them back. Uh, if we don't put them in our recycling bin and they end up on a footpath or they end up in a council bin, they end up in a landfill. So we can't go back to glass probably for everything right now, uh, but refilling, there's a big push right now for more refillables uh, because 
it, it, it uses a fraction of the energy uh, as, as it does to, to collect that glass bottle from the curbside, truck it all the way up to Auckland, crush it down into color, heat it up at great expense uh, uh, to form a new bottle, put another liquid in it, and do it all over again. It, it, it is really ridiculous to remake them every time they're used when they could be uh, brought back, washed, and, and refilled. I mean, we still do it with swapper crates. If you look at swapper crates, that's been around since the 1920s. Um, and there are a lot of refilling in other countries, but it, there, there is a big, big push now with, you know, climate change is our biggest issue. Why are we transporting all this heavy material long distances to crush it down, to heat it up at great expense to the environment, to make it into a single use container again? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to a lot of people. I wonder as we move to a, more of a service-led economy where we're recognizing that we don't all have to own a car we can use uber or whatever it is that's slightly less socially dodgy um to 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 get our transport or we don't need to own this thing what we want to buy is the service i wonder if that's going to help that move it, it may help that move. Um, I mean, you know, the, the future of cars is probably that. The future of transportation is probably, you know, pull out your iPhone and, and dial up a self-driving uh, car to come and pick you up at your house. So that, that'll be a ways away yet. Um, and, you know, I'm not a transport expert, but, you know, I, I, I can read what the future, you know, what's coming um, with autonomous vehicles. But But I guess for me, for me, the focus right now is 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 getting trying to get New Zealand um, in tune with the rest of the world. I mean, we're four decades behind the planet in a lot of what we do with with waste. Um, you know, just organics, for for example, every single council in New Zealand should be at least have the option to collect organics from the curbside. Um, there's only about three or four councils doing it out of 67 local authorities. It's, it's the biggest chunk of domestic waste. Um, about half of what every single uh, city or town sends to landfill from households is, 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 is food and green waste. About 30% is food, about 18 to 20% is, is green waste, grass clippings, etc. And we're trucking this heavy material at great distances, you know, sometimes two hours one way to a large uh, landfill burying it, running over it with an 80-ton compactor to create more methane and, and then, you know, driving that truck back when it could be composted locally. That's, you don't need technology to compost. It's, uh, it's a pretty easy process to, to do in any community. So, um, you know, we, we, it's, just, it's just looking at the things we do and, and, and saying, why are we continuing to do things this way when, when we're supposed to be making all these changes? Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mehi arohanui, kia koutou, koutou Hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around this journey that we're all on to get proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making them better thank you so i know that for all of us we have been through so many shifts and ups and downs different ways of doing being seeing feeling for the last more than a year now in the midst of this global pandemic and of course having these five minutes with you has helped me immeasurably in this time and i really want to thank sam and the whole blown bubbles team for having me something that I'm appreciating more and more is living on my own and you know what a luxury and privilege this really is and I hope that for all of you you are getting some time to yourself in whatever way that that might be whatever form that might take and of course for all of us I know that we are looking for balance in our lives in terms of the energy that we give out and the energy that we allow to come forward to us and for me this is an ongoing learning how to pace myself how to make sure that in my work which is very interactive and high energy and performance based I also have time to allow others to come forward and 
allow myself to receive and recharge in their presence. I had a wonderful time with the eco-warriors visiting me yesterday at my heart's home, Orokunui Eco Sanctuary. And when, when the eco-warriors arrive every two weeks, we do a special welcome and we acknowledge the manga and the realm of Tanemahuta and we choose a special native tanga species that we want to sing about and turn into and we turn into the forest. It's all very exciting. We do a circle where we say our name and what we want to protect as eco-warriors. Very invigorating and exciting. And so this is what we do each time. This is our ritual each time. And I knew that they had been learning about leaves. So I was in the process of talking with them about who might be living under the leaves that we could visit. And there was a silence and I looked around and became present again in the moment and I realised that they were all waiting to give me something and they'd made me this beautiful book, the leaf book. And it had all these beautiful leaf rubbings that they'd collected in all different colours from around their kindergarten. And they'd written about the leaves, their observations about the leaves, and they said that the green colour in the leaves was chlorophyll and that the leaves were changing colour because it was winter it was cold. And just all these wonderful observations that their lovely teachers had written down in the book. And I thought, you know, this is such a great lesson for me because this is what's happening all the time. As we know, and it's so important to remember and, and take the time to just stop and allow that presence so we can see, oh, wow, this is this gift that's here for me, that's waiting for me. And we can get stuck in our repeated rituals and our, our routines to the point where we may miss those gifts. So this is a real wake-up corner, a real reminder for me to give all the life that surrounds me the space to come forward and share their gifts with me and to be so grateful for them. And of course, I really appreciate this time with you. It's such a gift to me. And I know with the show that there are so many wonderful people who we're, we're hearing from and they're able to share their gifts. So I really hope that for you, you're getting the time and space that you need for yourself so that you can share your gifts and really draw energy and replenishment from the gifts that are being offered to you. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Marty Hoffert. Marty, we're talking about putting value on the good behaviour, I think. How do we how do we do that? And if we do that, what do we do if it does turn out to be cheaper? Because quite a lot of the things we see for sustainability-based things are if you do it this way, it's more efficient, it's cheaper. But what do we do when that falls down and it's not? Well, the thing is, is it is cheaper in most cases. It is much cheaper. Let's just talk about beverage containers again, because it's one of my favorite topics. If you look at Australia, our next door neighbors, in 1977, South Australia put 10 cent deposits on beverage containers. And they've they've had deposits on beverage containers for over four decades. And we've known about it. It's not like we didn't know that. Um, They've had the lowest litter rate in Australia for 40 years. In 2012, Northern Territory decided they should be doing the same thing and they brought it in. So in the last two years, Western Australia's brought it in, um, Queensland's brought it in, New South Wales has brought it in, and uh, Australian Capital Territory has brought it in. Victoria's talking about it right now. When you think about uh, cleaning up beverage containers, if you, if you look at some of the stats from New South Wales, that state was spending $160 million a year cleaning up beverage containers. It made up over 40% by volume of every single uh, council street litter bin. So to, to do that here, you know, we drink 2.23 billion beverage containers in New Zealand every year, and about a billion are drank outside the home. Um, so we have a, a very low recovery rate for beverage containers. It's high quality material. You know, aluminium is worth $1,000 a ton. It's glass bottles. It's PET plastic, clear plastic, which still has a really good recycling value. So these are these are high quality, high value items. We landfill over a billion beverage containers, you know, six six million a day in this country. We fill up 
two Boeing 747s every day in this country with beverage containers for landfills. And what would be the cost of putting a 10 cent deposit on them? If we did that, we would get over a billion beverage containers back. We'd create two and a half thousand new jobs. We'd inject 645 million into the economy over 10 years, and it would cost one cent per container. That's it. One cent per container is the cost to put that scheme in place. Far cheaper than all the programs, the cleanup programs, and the millions we spend cleaning up litter, and the money that we spend sending that material to landfill. So it's, 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 it's one of those things, whether you're talking about tires or televisions or beverage containers or anything, it's always cheaper for society to build the cost of recycling into the product. These are, it's not new taxes. I never, ever, um, I never, ever uh, say that we should be using public money or rates-funded money to clean this stuff up. Uh, it, it should be built into the purchase price, and that the cost of the, of the collection, the transport, the dismantling, the recycling, uh, is borne by the producer and the consumer. You want the $4,000 flat screen? Well, you pay an extra, extra 40 bucks when you buy it. You know, you, you, when you get a set of tires, we're already paying four or five or six dollars for, for a disposal fee, but that money is not going for the recycling of those tires. And that's why we have piles of them all over the country. Who do we have to convince? Well, there's one person in Wellington. He's the Minister for the Environment, and that is uh, the Honourable David Parker. I mean, he really needs to um, carry this mantle to Cabinet and, uh, and get the regulation in place. The, the, you know, the, the, the issue is, is that all of these companies that sell us electronics or tires in New Zealand sell them all over the world. So this is not a new thing for the electronics industry, the beverage industry or the tire industry or any of those industries. They're all regulated in other countries and they have been for three or four or five decades. I mean, we buy the same computers, the same televisions, the same electronics as they do in Europe or Toronto or Tokyo. It's the same companies and they, they're all regulated over in those countries. So this is not a new thing that New Zealand is going to do. This is uh, something that everybody else has been doing for 30 or 40 years. And, and all these companies that sell us tires or, e or e electronics or beverages, they're all regulated overseas. They know more about product stewardship than, than we do. I'm going to squeeze in a Carter USM rubbish. This is the sound of an electric guitar.
I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about planned obsolescence. There are way too many things that I've gone to buy where I can see where the fail will happen, and I can, and it's increasingly obvious that it's designed to fail because then I have to throw it away and get a new one of the thing. And and I guess that's that product product stewardship. But how do we get manufacturers to stop doing that? Well, there's a, there's a big movement in Australia right now, and, and a few people are talking about it here, and it's called the right to repair. And um, it, 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 is gaining some, it is gaining some traction uh, over the Tasman. And it, it, it is, uh, you're right, it's, uh, we all know that the, that blender stick is going to last nine months. And then all of a sudden it stops working. Um, or, or, or all these other ridiculous changes that are made to cordless drills. You know, the, a new battery pack every year. So you cannot use the old one again because the shape has changed, the battery's changed. You know, it's 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 crazy. It's ridiculous uh, that we can't have stuff that's going to last more than a year or two anymore. So, you know, I'm. I guess the only the only way to make those changes is is to keep talking about them, to give those manufacturers the message that we don't like that. We don't we don't want to have to throw this stuff away. We don't want to have to keep digging up more resources from the planet to to make something in a different shape because it's only going to last seven or eight months. Um, so it's a, I guess it's like a, a, anything. It's like, you know, when last year when we watched all those kids, you know, uh, blocking streets in Wellington and protesting for climate change, uh, until you get out there and make some noise, um, I, I guess manufacturers assume they can keep doing the same thing. Is school's the place to start? I, I know you've been doing work with schools. Yep. So I, I have. I've taught in schools for, for many, many years. I was a school a zero waste educator for seven years. And absolutely, I mean, to be honest with you, the kids in school, they've grown up in the, with this stuff. They are, are smarter than their parents and they, 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 know, they know about climate change. They know how to recycle, they know how to compost. Uh, but it, it's just amazing, the, uh, the school programs, because kids just lap this stuff up, you know, but it, it's, it's really important to them. Um, you know, they're starting to figure out what their future might be like. And, uh, you know, they can hear the news as well. And, and they know that we're heating up the planet. They know that the oceans are full of plastic. And, and um, they know that we can't keep going the way we're going. So, um, absolutely, schools are, 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 are the, the place to be, to be talking about this. We have a, a student, a, le- a learner, doing his master's. He works for a recycling company in Auckland and his job is selling the notion of the 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 recycling over landfill to businesses and his challenge is, is that it's more expensive you got any advice yeah, well, for him on on how does he sell the notion of this stuff to these businesses yeah well i i guess i guess um there there are a lot of businesses out there and you i guess he's just got to start with the ones that are keen and there are lots of keen ones out there that just want a helping hand like i've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of businesses over the last 20 years and and when i initially started doing waste audits at businesses and giving them advice on how to minimize waste and send less to landfill i i was selling them the cost savings because it was cheaper then to sort out paper or plastics uh metals uh then descend it to landfill but uh, unfortunately with the cost uh, uh the, the the way the world is at the moment a lot of those commodities the prices fluctuate in 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 for some of those commodities like paper mixed paper um steel certain plastics that sale price has come down quite a lot and what, what it means is that in, in ca- some cases businesses are paying the same amount to recycle as they would to landfill. Um, so I, you know, I don't question that. I've seen it, and um, it should be cheaper to recycle. You'd think that if you 
can sort out a clean, recoverable resource that somebody can bail and sell, that they, they should be able to offer a collection cheaper than landfill. The problem, the problem is, is that if you look at whether you have a big truck collecting cardboard in a cage or a big truck collecting a skip bin, 65% of the cost comes down to the truck and the driver. Doesn't matter whether he's hauling recyclable goods or landfill. Um, so, so unfortunately, the price has come quite close for landfill and recycling. In some cases, it's more to recycle. Uh, but what I found, uh, there are there are plenty of businesses out there that want to do the right thing, and they don't care about the costs. And and they're out there. And and, and I guess my advice would be to to start with those ones get into those networks, uh, businesses that are in the sustainable business network or businesses that are in networking groups um, and, and work with them and, and, and promote them. And, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I, it's something that I've done for a long time. And there are councils that have business waste minimization programs that are doing case studies on businesses. They're getting some good press because they're doing the right thing. And, and we're all, we're all getting conscious of that now. So, I, I think those businesses are out there. I have some questions to end the show and almost negative time to ask them, so we shall have to rattle. We've seen lots of changes over the last year, societal changes. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Do you mean changes, societal changes in what way? Do you mean COVID? Do you mean recycling? Yeah. Do you mean... Well, it could be that... Which one? Well, I meant COVID, but they might be related. Um, I, I guess, you know... Uh, I guess the changes that I've I've seen over the last year with COVID is that uh, we 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 all value our our our, our life and our planet uh, uh, I think a lot more than we used to and uh, we we can see that you know it's it's very tenuous at times uh, having a a healthy existence on this planet so I, I I I'm hoping that in the last year people have learned to garden a bit more people have learned to care a bit more people have learned to look out for their neighbors a bit more. And 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 care about how we buy and shop and and what we dispose of. So, those are those are those are my thoughts on the issue. What is the biggest success you've had in the last year or so? Um, I think for me, uh, last year I was on the uh, the the uh, working group to um, to um, to advise government on uh, how we would have a container return scheme in this country. So. Uh, I, I spent the last year doing that, and and I was selected on that uh, group, on that working group, uh, to represent community recyclers. Um, so for me, you know, I, I I thought that was quite a big success. What the government does with the report now, I don't know. There's an 800-page report sitting on uh, Honorable David Parker's desk, so I hope he reads it. Um, but uh, for me, I think I think that was that was a big one because it was. Uh, you know, it makes it real. It's not. It's not campaigning, um, and and it's 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 not uh, advocating. It's actually developing the scheme, how the scheme would work in New Zealand. So for me, I think in the last year that would be it. The the, the beverage container working group for for government. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in the team. What's the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Um. I- I don't know. I, I chair a lot of not-for-profits, as you can probably see from my profile. Um, I guess my superpower is I grew up in a family of nine children. So we had seven boys and um, two girls in our family. And um, I I guess as a kid, I always I played a lot of sport. I was very sporty um, as, as a kid in high school and, and even in university. And uh, I guess I was always captaining my team. And I remember one of my older brothers saying to me when I was very young, he said, okay, you're the captain of your ice hockey team. And you know what that C stands for? It stands for calm, cool, and collect. And I've never forgotten that. And uh, so I, I think I think for me, my superpower is um, is my leadership skills. And, and, I, and I guess that's why people, you know, the, the board selects a chair because they want someone to, to sort of be be in that position and uh i feel comfortable in that position so so i guess that'd be mine sam is 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 uh i think about how i grew up as a kid and uh, and what i'm doing now that that the 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 leadership follow me even whether i know which direction i'm going or not people are they're they're okay they've been following me so i hope i'm leading them on the right path 
So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Absolutely. I, I haven't chained myself to a fence naked or painted my hair blue or anything like that yet, but um, absolutely. As, as part of the community sector, you, you know, we're all part activist, but we also have to behave in a way when you're talking with ministers or meeting with ministers or you have contracts with councils. We, you, 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 you can't always be an activist. You know, I remember someone telling me long ago, you know, do you want to be an activist or do you want to build a business? So you, there's, a, there's a fine line sometimes where we pull out our activist hat and, and sometimes we've got to put it away. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, I love what I do. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've been doing this for 20 years. I don't think I'll do anything different. Um, I, I, lo- I love the I love the not-for-profit sector. I love I love the the world of waste. Um, you know, I feel confident to talk about it, and uh, and I have a lot to say about it. And I think there's so much more we we will we have to do in this country. You know, we've got a a long way to go to catch up with the rest of the planet. So I I, I like what I do. So I like getting out of bed in the morning. So what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I guess for me, it's 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 um, it's it's finding out what the Ministry for the Environment is going to do in the next several months. Uh, what you know, what they're going to do about e-waste. You know, they've made lots of announcements. They've made announcements about um, they've consulted us about priority products, about e-waste, about tires, about farm plastics and refrigerants, um, about container return schemes. Um, so I guess for me, it's it's. Something's got, something's got to give in the next six to eight months. There's going to have to be an announcement, and and I hope I hope it's uh, it's one that I want to hear. Um, <laughs> I hope we don't cave in because otherwise I'm going to have a lot to say. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I, I think I think speak up. Um, you know, don't be afraid. I tell people all the time. You know, if you've got an MP, you've got a minister and you've got uh, an opinion about a subject, Google them, click on their parliamentary website, their phone number's there, their email's there, and write them and tell them why we need to change. Ask them why we, we don't have these programs. Ask them what the holdup is. Uh, you, know, we've, we, you know, they're working for you is what I tell people. So, you know, get those MPs in parliament uh, upping our game in this country. We've, we've got to do it. It's just we've been dragging the chain too long here. Thank you for that. Moira. Marty, I'm really thankful that you decided to come to Aotearoa. Good work to your wife. <laughs> well done. Um, thank you for being here and for the commitment that you've made uh, for making our world a better place, especially around the educating of our kids. And, um, and yeah, I, I really appreciate that there are people like you out there who are committing their whole lives to teaching this stuff and, and hopefully making some social change. Thank you. That's very kind, and, uh, and I've really enjoyed being on your show, so thank you for asking me. Thank you thank very you. much for joining us. We're going out to the Tarzan soundtrack, Trash on the Camp. Blowing bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at three, and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
We had a contribution today from Tony McKenzie. I'm Sammy Rannan-Soyers Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fokotani and in Tauranga, Marty Hoffert. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.